There's so much more to our story than what we think, especially when we realize that God's plan for our life is so much better than we could ever imagine. Today, Chris takes us through the rest of Joseph's story as we continue our series in Genesis. Here's Chris. Well, hello and happy Memorial Day, everybody. Good to see you all. It is so fun to get to do what we get to do and be the blessing around our town. Uh, I love being a part of this church and being, a, uh, being your pastor. And uh, man, it is, it is just so good to shine the light of Christ and share his gospel with people who, who wouldn't get to hear it otherwise. So way to go, Vineyard. Um, we are continuing in the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, you can open up to Genesis chapter 45. We are in the home stretch. We're going to wrap up here in the next, I don't know, four or five weeks, something like that. Uh, we have been in Genesis for a long time now, uh, and we're kind of at the climax of the part about Joseph. Um, and we've been following Joseph for the last, I don't know, month or two. I don't know. It's been, it's, it's amazing when you open God's word and you start digging in how much there, how rich it is, how much there is that speaks to where we live. And, and, uh, and so, uh, we're just, we're just drinking it in. And, um, I encourage you to follow along in, in the, uh, in your Bible, Genesis 45, Joseph, long story short, Joseph is the, the great-grandson of Abraham, the grandson of Isaac, the son of Jacob. His brothers uh, are jealous of him because he is his father's favorite, and he kind of boasts about that. They, try to, they plot to kill him, but rather than kill him at the last minute, they decide to sell him to some slave traders, and he ends up in Egypt where he's a slave for a while, and then he's in prison for like 10 to 12 years. Things look pretty dark for Joseph. Doesn't look like uh, he's ever going to get out of prison. And, uh, and then one day he ends up in front of the Pharaoh, the ruler of the entire, I mean, the most powerful ruler in the entire world, certainly the ruler of Egypt. This is the dynasty era of, uh, of Egypt. So he's unbelievably wealthy, unbelievably powerful. And he finds himself in front of Pharaoh. He finds favor with Pharaoh. He ends up becoming the leader of the household of Pharaoh and, and really uh, running the country. Pharaoh kind of kicks back and eats really good food, and Joseph runs everything. This is how this story ends up, right? He's a foreigner in a foreign land. He ends up running everything and is like Pharaoh's favorite. Pharaoh loves Joseph. And then his brothers who sold him into slavery, who think he's probably dead, or if he's not dead, he's a slave somewhere in the country. They're never going to see him again. They have to come down because there's a famine in the land and they need food. And uh, Joseph happened to save food during the good years. So there was food during the famine years. So they traveled down 10 or 15 days journey to get food. They find themselves in front of their brother who they don't recognize. He goes back or they go back to, uh, to their father, but they have to come back because he's holding one of the brothers as a prisoner. They come back. He finally reveals who he is. This is, this is for the folks who are new this week. And uh, he finally reveals who he is, and uh, that's where we're going to pick up in verse 4 of chapter 45. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me. Now, I want you to count the number of times Joseph 
uh, recognizes that this was all God's plan, that this was about what God was up to. So this is the first time. He said, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will not be plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but who? But God, he made, he, that's the fourth time, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. So Joseph is sitting on this side of this, this story. He's kind of made it through the hard part. He's made it through the confusing part. He's over here. Things have worked out really well. He's looking back in retrospect, and he's like, man, God's fingerprints were all over this thing. He sent me ahead of you. He got me here. It was, for, it was God's plan for this to happen, even the hard parts. And isn't it easy when we're through the hard parts to look back and go, well, yeah, there was a purpose here and a purpose there. And a pur- I mean, I could tell you story after story in my own life where I've gone through hard seasons and now looking back, I'm like, oh, he was preparing me. He was, he was doing this. He was doing that. That's where Joseph is in this story. Now, here's what's true about every single one of us. We live, we're living a story. And we live the big story, right, or the story arc of our life from our birth into the next life and into eternity. There's that big story arc. But then we live these little stories, these little story arcs like what we see going on with Joseph and his family here. It's a 22-year story arc, right? I've gone through, I don't know, five-year story arc. I can look back and at, at these different eras of my life and go, oh, I can see what God was up to there. And so we got these little stories. And always when I get to the end, I'm like, oh, well, I couldn't have orchestrated that. God knows what he's doing, right? And it's easy, easy to be uh, full of faith when you're through the tough stuff. Can we agree to that? And last week, we talked about how important it is to have faith in the middle of the tough stuff because we know that God is doing something bigger, and we're going to be on the other side of that eventually. Uh, all right. And when you get to the end of your story, whether it's the short arc or the, or the big story arc, the truth is God has a plan and his plan's better than your plan. God's plan is better than anything you could dream up. And we do go through hard things in this life, don't we? Has anybody gone through a hard thing in this life? All right. Yeah, at least half of us. I need to get with the rest of you and have a sermon about lying. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we will go through hard things, but the end of the story is better than we could imagine. All right, I'm going to drop down to verse 16, and this is what it says. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. So Pharaoh loves Joseph. He... um, he has just got great favor with the Pharaoh. Of course, he saved the Pharaoh's butt. He saved the, the land of Egypt. Uh, but there's something very winsome about Joseph. And we've covered this in previous weeks. You know, he's kind of one of those personalities. He blooms where he's planted. He forgives easily. Uh, and he just, he just kind of moves on with positivity in the midst of what's going on. And the Pharaoh just loves Joseph. And so they're just pleased that Joseph's reunited with his family. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. 
I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. So some context here. Pharaoh, richest man on the planet, multi-trillionaire. Like, you know, you know all these exhibits that we have going around, like the, the lost archi- or, or artifacts of Egypt, you know, like the solid gold King Tut things and stuff? That's these people. They are rich as can be. I mean, they're loaded. And now Pharaoh's saying, your family, which is going to be around 70, 75 people, they can come and I'm going, they're going to live They're going to live with my resources. I'm going to take care of them. We're going to go through this together. That's how much the Pharaoh loves Joseph. Well, this is working out better than anybody could have, have, uh, you know, foreseen. Uh, They could not have imagined in the middle of the story that this is where this was going. They were just coming down to get enough food to survive the famine. And now they are living as well as anybody on the planet. All right, verse 19, you are also to direct them to do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. They get the best. They don't just get enough food to survive. They get the best of all of Egypt. They're going to get the best land, the best food, the best houses, the best everything. They're, they're going to be living large. And, and, and the Pharaoh's like, just leave your stuff behind. You know, go ahead and list it on Marketplace and get rid of it. But that might be a pain because people won't show up when they call and say, hey, I'm, in, I'm just interested in this. You ever done that? Anybody ever sold anything on Marketplace? It's a pain, really. All right, so have a garage sale, get rid of your stuff, and just come on down, right? Because your stuff isn't really going to fit in the house I'm going to provide for you. Anybody seen the Beverly Hillbillies? Anybody over 40? I love the Beverly Hillbillies, right? And, and so it's, it's, it's Jed Clampett and Grandma and, or Granny, right? It's Granny, and she's got the rheumatism medicine. And, and they're from East Tennessee, and he's out hunting food and shoots the ground, and up comes a bubbling crude. <laughs> Well, let's sing it together. I can't help it. Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some crude food. Up from the ground comes a bubbling crude. All right, so the Beverly Hillbillies. Do we have that picture? There they are. All right, so they're from East Tennessee. They live in the mountains. They don't have plumbing. They don't have anything, right? And all of a sudden, they're richer than they can imagine, and they move to Beverly Hills and live in a big mansion, but they load up their rocking chair and grandma in the back and everything else, and they drive into Beverly Hills, and they just don't fit, right? They don't belong. Like, just leave all that behind and come. I'll take care of the rest. That's what the Pharaoh tells them to do. They don't need their junk. And he sends them 10 carts, 10 of Pharaoh's carts. These would have been the equivalent of Mercedes limousines, right? They had 10 limousines pull in at Jacob's house. Now, Jacob's done well. He's, been, he's made a you know, fairly, fairly wealthy guy in the midst of agriculture, but nothing compared to what, what we're looking at here. In verse 21, it says, so the sons of Israel did this, Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. I love the fact that they include this here because it shows us that these guys are still in process, right? We've learned 
that it's, it's okay to have favorites in one respect. It's okay to connect differently with different people. It's just not okay to show favorites. And this is a lesson we learned early in this process um, and, uh, and early in this story. And here Joseph is continuing with it. It's, he's not quite gotten his lesson yet. As, as blessed as he is, as big as what God is doing in his life, he's not perfect. Isn't that our story as well? Um, and so it goes on, and this is w- what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and, they were, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Now, these guys show up. They don't know that Joseph is Joseph. Uh, he reveals himself, and then it's just a whirlwind oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and Pharaoh found out, and he wants you guys to do this, and, and they're just going, like, I just can't believe this is happening. But he knows they got 10 or 15 days to argue on their way home. Somebody's going to have to explain to Dad that they sold Joseph into slavery 22 years ago. Whose fault was that? Who went along with it? And they're going to be, and, you know, I mean, his brothers have changed, but they haven't changed that much. So they're gonna, don't argue, don't worry, I've got it. Just go get dad. So they went out of Egypt, up out of Egypt, and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. Understatement of the year, right? <laughs> he's a, he like, like he's been mourning his son for 22 years. He is devastated that Joseph is dead. And that was all that he knew, that he did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph sent to carry him back, he's got a fleet of limousines outside, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So they load up into the limousines, and then in verse 1 of chapter 46, it says, so Israel, or Jacob, set out with all that was his. So he straps the, the, uh, he straps a goat to the side of the limousine, and he's got, he's got the rocking chair on the back, and he looks like the clampets going down to, to Egypt. He was supposed to list this all on Marketplace and move on, but he, he doesn't. He's bringing it with him. And I think that's just such a, a picture of you and me. Like God invites us into his kingdom. He invites us to leave our junk behind and walk into his amazing provision for us, right? And we want to hold on to our sinful habits. We want to hold on to our stuff. We want to hold on to our old identities rather than embrace this new life that is better than anything we could hope for, ask for, or even imagine. Jacob is us. We, we are Jacob. This is, this is the human condition. He, is, he wants to store up and hold on. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation. 
there. I will make you into a great nation there. This was not the plan that Jacob was working on. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. This is a tender moment between God and Jacob. God's saying, look, I'm going to reunite you with your son. When you pass, which you eventually will, you will be with your son, Joseph, whom you love so much. Like, like this is the, this like the bow on the end of the story, right? Like they just put a ribbon on it. And then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father, Jacob and their children and their wives, and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offsprings went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. So here they come in their Mercedes with their goats and their sheep and all their other stuff kind of coming along behind. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters and all his offspring. Okay. A day before, this wasn't even on his radar. A day before, this couldn't have even happened. Joseph was dead, right? In the middle of the story, and for 22 years, this, he never laid awake dreaming about the day when there would be a famine and his son Joseph would be, you know, ruler of, of Egypt. And it, it didn't even occur to him that this would be a possibility. It, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's unforeseen and it's unforeseeable. Joseph doesn't see this when he's rotting in prison. You know, he's just wondering, am I ever going to get out of here or am I going to die in this prison when the Pharaoh calls him up? His brothers didn't see it. They thought, well, as a slave in a foreign country, he probably died years ago. If he's still alive, he's, you know, he's a nobody. Jacob thought he was dead. And now... In a moment, they end up living in, in the nicest houses with the nicest stuff and the best food and the favor of Pharaoh. I mean, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, and, and, and I don't think Pharaoh, when he appointed Joseph, had any idea that he was setting up this small family to be a great nation someday, a great nation that ultimately, hundreds of years from now, would defeat Egypt and go off on their own. Nobody saw any of this ahead of time. There's so much in our lives, guys, that we do not see ahead, ahead of time. But what we can know is that God has a plan, whether we can see it or not, and most of the time we can't. Most of the time when I think I know what God is up to, I find out later I was wrong. Anybody been there? But God, whatever God comes up with is way better than what I could have come up with. But with this come some struggles along the way. With this comes some pain because God doesn't prevent us from going through the hard things, which is what we all want, right? We all want a God who keeps us from going through hard things. Can we just be honest? But that's not what he does. He, in fact, he allows, you know, we see in this, this whole scenario, he allows this family to go through some really hard things. So the question is, how does this apply to you? 
What does, what does this mean for you? And, and, and how do you live in, in, in light of this? And I think the answer to that question is we live in the middle of a story that is still unfolding. You live in the middle of a story that's still unfolding. You can't see the end. Now, you might, as I said, there's little story arcs. There might be a period of history of your life. You can look back and God brought you through this seven-year period of time and you're like, oh, I see what God was up to. He did this, he did that, he was preparing me this way, and now I'm here. I would have never been here otherwise. I can say that in my life probably five or six different times. I'm sure you can too. but I'm in the middle of another story, and I'm in the middle of that big story, that eternal story that we're all living in, right? And there is a rest of the story that I can't see from where I am now, and that's where faith comes in. When I was growing up, there was a guy on the radio named Paul Harvey, and uh, Paul Harvey was brilliant, and he would tell a story on the radio. It was just this little radio. It wasn't a whole show or anything. It was like a segment they'd play at the top or the bottom of the hour. And, and Paul Harvey would come on, and, and he was one of the greats. But he would tell a story about somebody. He wouldn't tell you who, he was, who it was about, but he would tell you a part of their story that you didn't know, either at the front end or the back end of their life or somewhere in the middle. And he tells you this story, and then he reveals at the end who it is, and like the light bulb goes on, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And then, he, and then he would say, do you guys remember what he would say? And now you know the rest of the story. And it's not until you know the rest of the story that the light bulb comes on. And, um, and so I, wanna, I just want to unpack a couple things about the rest of the story. You ready? Pull out your notes. And I encourage you to uh, jot some things down. First thing, some people will not like the rest of the story. <laughs> some people will not like the rest of the story. I, I've got two myths I, I need to bust here. You guys familiar with myth busters? All right. Now, we're not going to do any experiments. I'm just going to bust two myths. Here's the first one. Everything works for good. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Chris, you made us me memorize that passage last week, Romans 8, 28. I did. But the problem is, is we stop at God works everything for good, and we put a period there. But there's more to that verse than God works everything for good, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of what? those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's not everybody. This is a family promise. This is a promise for people who have surrendered their life to God, who love Jesus, and who have been called into his family. All right? This is not a general promise for all of humanity. All of humanity loves this promise. Well, it all works for good, but that is not the case. That is not the promise that we find here in the book of Romans. It's for those who love him. What does it mean to love God? We like to think, well, you know, we sing with great passion. That means we love God. And the, yeah, I mean, that's an expression of love for God. You know what Jesus said loving him was? You love me 
if you obey my commands. They're like, oh, yeah, like if you really love Jesus, you're going to follow him. You're going to obey him. You're going to do what he said. Right? We like to think, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm good. No, you have to obey him. Now, you're not going to do that perfectly, so please don't hear me saying, hey, you're going to get that perfect. We're all going to struggle. We see Jacob struggle. We see Joseph struggle. We'll struggle. But we're doing our best to obey God. That is the test of our love for, for Jesus. All right? And been called according to his purpose. He's called us into his family. We've taken that step of faith across the line of faith and placed our, our trust and our life in him and have been adopted into his family. If those things are going on, everything's working for good, and it will, and it does, and I've seen it over and over and over again. Second myth, all dead people are in a better place. I can't tell you how many funerals I've been to where it was clear the deceased was not living for God or following God or knew Jesus or anything, and everybody would like, get up and be like, well, at least he's in a better place. Like, uh, now I want you to know as your pastor, I have enough emotional intelligence not to correct them at that point. That's not the time or the place to, nope, he's burning in hell. <clears throat> I don't do that. And ultimately, I don't know. I don't get to make that call. I don't know what conversations they've had with God or where they stand with him. But it's kind of like my best guess is they're probably, probably not in a better place. Everybody does not go to a better place. There is a hell, and you don't want to go there. And it is hot. We know that. Now, that said, I'm not a big fan of hell. I don't, I, I, if I were God, I probably would not have made hell because it makes me uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable too. We don't, we, we don't like that, but I'm not God. And more importantly, you're not God. And so we don't get to make that call. And God has plans and purposes that we do not understand, right? His ways are different, are way beyond our ways. I mean, God stands outside of time and space. He sees the entire galaxy and universe and all of it. And we see this, this little bit right here. I mean, he's given us the ability to reason and, 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 you know, the scientific method and all these other things, which are great, but we only see this much. Prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 said this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, guys, there are mysteries. With all the reason and philosophy and science in the world, there are so... we. We don't understand as much as we do understand. Does that make sense? I should have thought about this ahead of time, how to say this. Like, there's more that we don't understand than we do understand. It's like an ant trying to fathom me, right? Like, why does, why does Chris do what he does, little ant? And looking up and like, I, I, you can't even see all of me, right? God 
for whatever reason in his wisdom, created a heaven and a hell. Now, from a reason standpoint and from what he's shared with us in his word, he is a God of justice. And justice has to be served. It's like a, a cosmic universal principle. And you're like, well, I don't like the God of justice. I want the God of mercy and love. Right. You know, we all want mercy and, mercy and love until something impacts us. Drunk driver kills a family member. You don't want the judge to come in and go, I'm the judge of mercy and love, and we're going to just put him back on the street. Do you? You know, you want justice. And we want that person not driving anymore for the sake of everybody else. Because chaos will ensue. But that's what we want God to do for us, right? We, we want the God of mercy and love. And he is a God of mercy and love. He's both. So please don't hear me saying he's not. It's why Jesus went to the cross. Because the punishment for sin, which we're all guilty of, is death. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay your penalty. So that when you're found guilty, which you are and you will be, and you go, you know what, I'm done living that way. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. It's like, all right, it's paid for. You're forgiven. That's in the past. You get to start over. But now you're living a different way, and you don't end up with the chaos. Does that make sense? That's my best rational explanation. But I'm sure there's more to it than that because his ways are way above my ways. Second thing, Jesus followers will love the rest of the story. Anybody ever read a book on heaven? There's a whole cottage industry of books on heaven. People are fascinated with heaven, right? They're all wrong. Like, like we don't know. It's, again, well beyond our ability to comprehend. In Ephesians 3.20, it says this, Now to him, that being God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Like, it's more than you can get your, your head around this side of heaven according to his power that is at work within us. His plan is better than your plan, and ultimately in that large story arc into eternity, you have no idea. It is so good. You know, what we do know, what the Bible does reveal about heaven is that the, the streets are paved with gold. Now, I don't know if that's literal or if that's figurative, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do think it means. I think God's saying, what's the most valuable thing in, in the world that you guys treasure and go after and gold? Back in, the, in their day, it would have been gold. Yeah, we, we use that as asphalt because the rest of heaven is so much better than that, right? More than you could hope for, ask, or imagine. Guys, this is why sharing our faith is so important. This is why helping people find and follow God is the biggest purpose you can live for in this life. Because there is a next life, and the consequences are real. And we want to bring along as many people as we can. 
And God wants as many people who will come to come. And it's not just me preaching on Sunday morning. It's all of us sharing our faith day in, day out with the people that we work with, with the people in our neighborhoods, with the people on our kids' sports teams. It's us living out our faith before them and helping them find and follow God. It's so very important because the rest of the story matters. Point number three, heaven will be populated with people you wouldn't let in. And you get to heaven and it's going to be like, what are they doing here? <laughs> people who look like they were headed for the other place. And you're wondering how they got there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's just a partial list, guys. Your list is on here too. I mean, it could have gone on for paragraphs there, doesn't. People who are actively sinning and, and rebelling against God, and they I want what I want more than I want what you want, God, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm going to pursue, whether it's adultery or idolatry or, or swindling or, or whatever else, I'm, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, regardless of whether you pray to prayer or not. Right? If you're in active rebellion against God, you're walking away from God. And we're like, well, I wouldn't let them in then. And I love the pivot here in verse 11. It says, and that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. Like the people who are in the family, the people who are in the church, the people who are in the kingdom of heaven now, you were that. Like you were living that. But now you're not. Something has changed. But you were washed. In other words, your sins were washed away. You were sanctified. You're being changed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you were justified. In other words, all your crimes were paid for by Jesus. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What a plot twist. In fact, I would suggest to you Jesus is the greatest plot twist in history. The devil didn't even see it coming. I mean, the devil was working to have Jesus crucified because he didn't understand what was going to happen three days later. He didn't understand that what he thought was his greatest victory was going to be God's greatest victory and our greatest victory. And the mercy of God the love of God, the compassion of God, and the passion of God for us is more than we could hope for, ask, or imagine. And as we surrender our lives to him, as we choose to follow him, his spirit works inside us to change us. His blood washes away our sin, and his sacrifice pays for our sins. And we are made new creations in him. Number four, you can't see the rest of the story until it is finished. You can't see the rest of the story until it is finished. 
You ever notice that? I mean, like with Jacob, he couldn't have seen that he was going to be reunited with his son. Didn't see that coming. The, the boys didn't see it until like the last few strokes of the pen in this story, right? And that's how life works. I, a couple years ago, I went to a, a concert in Pittsburgh called Winter Jam. Anybody ever been to Winter Jam? Yes, all four of us. And it was fantastic. And so at Winter Jam, they had this artist named Jared Emerson, who is a, he's a painter. And so he's painting this painting, and they've got music going on, and, and, and it's this kind of performance art thing. And it's like this mess, right? I, I don't even know what's going on in the painting. I'm like, I'm like, what is that? And there's this line and that line and this squiggle and, and that thing. And then in the last 20 seconds, he puts in a couple lines, and it comes out like this. And all of a sudden, it comes into focus, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how did he do that? And it's such an illustration of how our life works. Sometimes we're like, I'm living in the middle of a mess. I don't understand why I'm suffering the way I'm suffering. I don't understand why I feel the way I feel. I don't understand why this isn't working out and that's not working out. And, and then all of a sudden, God just puts in a few lines and you're like, oh, it's a masterpiece. But you can't see it when you're in the middle of it, right? And that's, that's how this thing works. Life might look like a mess, but he's not done yet. And you're not going to have it completely in focus until the story's done. Five, if your life is fantastic, I was going to say suck it up, buttercup, but I'm not going to. <laughs> if your life is fantastic, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like there's good stuff coming. Like better than you could hope for, ask for, or even imagine. Like better than living in Pharaoh's house, better than, than living off the benefact of being the benefactee of the richest man maybe in the history of the world. But here's the thing. If your life is fantastic, it is easy to start living for this world, isn't it? It's very easy to grow enamored with our comfort and our wealth and our security and our, our ability to just enjoy. And I don't think God is against any of those things necessarily. Some of us will have more comfort than others. Some of us will have more wealth than others. Some of us will have it easier than others. But for those of us that do have it easier, there is a great temptation there to start to live for this world rather than the next. Guys, and the point of this life isn't this life. The point of this world isn't this world. We are living a small part of the overall story, and we have to live with the end in mind. Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What's he saying here? It's really easy to fall in love with this world and stop living for God and stop living for his kingdom. And here's the thing that I've observed, just a warning for people who, who life is really easy right now, life is, is fantastic. When you start living for this world and then something hard happens, a lot of times those people will just bail and walk away because it's become about your comfort and your blessing and your 
your provision and everything else. And then when life gets hard, you're like, well, God, you're not going to come through. Then I guess it was never about this world. Not never. This earth is not heaven. This is Satan's domain. For 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls this, uh, says that he is the God of this age. And 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are all children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? The evil one. It's not about this world, guys. We lose our way and we start living for, for, we start living for one of these little story arcs and we have to keep the big story arc in mind. If things turn out bad, don't quit on God. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Six, if life is hard, it's worth the wait. If life is hard, it's worth the wait. In the book of Hebrews, this is kind of a, a sermon written out. And in, ver- in chapter 11, it, it's what we call the, the hall of faith. It's, it lists all these people who throughout history kind of demonstrated faith. And in verse 32, it says this. He's running out of time. He says, one more shall I say. I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses was was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Woohoo! Like major stuff going on, huge faith, faith accomplishments, right? And then in verse 36, he says, But some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. <clears throat> they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. Just to be clear, I don't like where this is going. But it's where this is going. They were put to death by stoning with rocks. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Sound like fun, anyone? And then it says this, these were all commended for their faith. Were just the people who had the triumphs commended for their faith? No. The people who struggled, the people who suffered were commended for their faith as well and their faithfulness. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Not even the, the ones who had the victories. They didn't see the fullness of the promises that had been made to them, not in this life, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Only in the end, only in that large story arc are we going to see it all come together the way it's going to come together. And we get so consumed with living down here in all of this little stuff, whether it's hard or good or whatever. And there's a bigger story we're a part of. Lift your eyes. 
You know, the reality is in this life, some of us are going to have it easier than others. Some of us are going to have perfect health and others of us are going to struggle with chronic illness. Some of us are going to be wealthy. Others of us are going to struggle with poverty. Some will suffer. Others will not. Some of us will, some of us will, will um, experience tragic loss and others of us won't. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or he loves you more. Because ultimately, this life isn't what it's about. This life is not about this life. And God has for you, regardless of what you are experiencing at the moment or have experienced or are about to experience, God has a better outcome, a better story, a better place then you can even begin to start to imagine, just like Joseph and his brothers and his fathers couldn't imagine living in Pharaoh's household. You can't imagine what God has in store for you. And in the meantime, through the hard things and the good things and everything in between, God is accomplishing his purpose. He is using your life to help other people find and follow him. He is uh, preparing you for what's next, and he's got a plan for your life. But even Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of his promise. He saw some amazing things, but he was promised he'd be a great nation. When he died, he had Isaac, right? He was promised he'd be a blessing to the whole world. The Messiah wasn't born for a couple thousand years. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, and yet their faith remained strong because I think they understood, and I hope that we do now as well, that the promise of God is about the end of the story. So many people decide to follow Jesus because they want their life to be easier and they want a free ride into heaven. That is not the reason to follow Jesus. Your life may or may not be easier. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. He said, you're blessed if people persecute you because you're my follower. And we live in a day and age where I think that's common. It's not about this life. Now, I will say this. When you decide to follow Jesus and you learn what the Word says and you apply the principles that God lays out there, because he designed life and knows how life works, life works better. You get better at life. You know, you apply his his financial principles to your life, you'll, get, you'll do better. You apply his uh, relational principles to your, your life or your marriage, it'll get better. But that doesn't mean that it's problem-free. That doesn't mean that there's not a, something difficult that might come as well. But regardless, stop living for this world. Whether you're blessed and continue to be or struggling and continue to struggle, and for most of us, it's a mix of the two. But in every case, God loves you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. And he promises you the rest of the story. And when that part is told, the light bulb will come on and you'll go, oh, yeah. 
oh yeah, this is where I need to be. When you get to the end and the painting is done and the last few lines have been drawn and everything comes into focus, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. In the meantime, we get to live with a peace that only God can give, a purpose that only God can give, and a friendship with God that really is the only thing that fills the empty place in our hearts. And that's pretty good. And so let me invite you today to place your faith in Jesus. Let's stand. If you've not decided to follow him, I want you, I want you to have a conversation with him. Because his promises are for his followers. And there are some of us who've never placed our faith in Jesus before, and today's your day to do that. And there are some of us who've prayed that prayer. We believe, but we're not obeying him. We're still doing our own thing. And I want to invite you to repent from that today and ask him to forgive you and surrender whatever part of your life is that is, to him. And as we sing these next couple of songs, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to your heart. Spring to mind whatever it is you need to do business with God on. And I encourage you, if you need to stop singing and talk to God, do that. But allow the Spirit to speak to you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill this place? God, would you give us an eternal perspective? God, and where we're living for this world, would you, would you just point that out? Help us to live for you. Just come now, Lord. Do business in our hearts as we sing. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.